Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Genzel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Today's guest is actor Jean-Patrick Flannery, and our conversation revolves around his work on the TV series The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, later retitled as The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, a lavishly produced spin-off of the popular Indiana Jones movies, which ran from 1992 to 1996. Following the adventures of Indy as a boy, played by Corey Carrier, and as a young man, played by John Patrick Flannery, encountering numerous famous historical figures and events. John appeared in the lion's share of the episodes, with Indy fighting numerous battles in World War I, joining Sidney Bechet's jazz band in Chicago, getting involved with the Easter Rising in Ireland, going to Hollywood to work with John Ford and Eric von Stroheim, and meeting other legendary people like Albert Schweitzer, Ernest Hemingway, George Gershwin, or Charles de Gaulle. After some commercials and smaller roles, Young Indiana Jones was John Patrick Flannery's first big role in a major production. He also appeared in movies ranging from the cult success The Boondock Saints from 1999 and its sequel from 2009 to films like Suicide Kings, Body Shots, Detox, Saw 3D, the seventh part of the horror movie series, to the recently released horror film Nefarious. On TV, John was part of the show The Dead Zone, based on the Stephen King novel, where he appeared in several episodes from 2002 to 2007, and he joined the show Dexter in 2013 for its eighth season. He's also a martial artist and a writer. His debut novel Jane 2 was published in 2016. On the book's webpage, John's bio includes the charmingly tongue-in-cheek statement, he has appeared in over 100 movies and television shows, some of which he hopes you've seen, and some of which he hopes you haven't. In our conversation, John recalls how the Young Indie series juggled all sorts of different storytelling approaches and how he experienced the show as an actor. He discusses the educational part of the series and remembers his favorite episodes and directors. The interview was conducted in connection with our German language podcast Lichtspielplatz. So, if you speak German, please visit lichtspielplatz.at and check out episode number 67, which features an in-depth look at the Young Indiana Jones TV series. Also, make sure to listen to my interview with Young Indie director Carl Schulz here on Talking Pictures. If you enjoy my conversation with Jean-Patrick Flannery, please visit TalkingPicturesPodcast.com to check out more interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or X. So without any further ado, here is Jean-Patrick Flannery recalling the audition process of young Indiana Jones. You know, the audition process was probably the easiest audition process of my life, only because I was convinced there's no way in hell I could possibly get young Indiana Jones. So I went into every audition kind of carefree and I, I was completely relaxed. And I got to tell you, then by the time it came down to the screen test, it was probably one of the hardest auditions I've ever had because, you know, George Lucas was there. Um, it, 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 uh, Rick McCallum, um, Carl Schultz, uh, they were all, and, and then I, that was when I started to realize I could possibly get this. And, uh, you know, then, you know, the, the reality set in and, it, uh, it was pretty pretty unnerving, but uh, you know I I'd, I'd never done anything anywhere near that big. Like I, like like you said, I did a string of commercials, I did a couple of serials for the Disney Channel, but mm -hmm. that's it, that's it. And they called me in for an audition, and I was blown away that I was even getting an opportunity to read for a George Lucas uh, production. So 
it was, you know, young, young Indy opened up every door that's open to me today. Without that, I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't have been in any of the other films. Of it, uh, it provided me a lot of opportunities, and I'm incredibly grateful. So, how familiar were you with the world of Indiana Jones at that point? Well, I mean, just like every other kid my age, I think, you know, the Raiders, the the movie Raiders, the first 30 minutes of Raiders was the first film that was more of a theme park ride than a movie. I mean, you hear, you hear people always say, I was on the edge of my seat, but it's a metaphor. They weren't really on the edge of their seat until Raiders came out. And then you were on the edge of your seat. You know, when, when they're chasing spears are coming and he's looking behind, you're holding on, you're watching the screen, looking. I mean, it, 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 was, it was an experience unlike anything I'd ever been through in my life in, in, in a cinema. Um, so it, it, it instantly became my favorite film when I saw it in the theater for the first time. Mm -hmm. Because of that, you know, it was just, it was unparalleled, really. Yeah, I remember Roger Ebert called it one of the great bruised forearm movies because when you're in the theater, your, your date just squeezes your forearm all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did that to me as well. He was right. So how did you go about shaping the role of young Indiana Jones? I imagine it's difficult when you're stepping into the shoes of someone else who originated that role. You know, it is, but it isn't because, you know, it was written by completely different writers. Um, this was, it, it was, although the character was called Young Indiana Jones, the stylistically, every script was sculpted very differently. Um, the writers were different. Uh, the characterization, for example, the Terry Jones episode, the mm -hmm. way that character was written was almost slapstick comedy. And then the way the character in like the Battle of Verdun was written was an art house dramatic piece of poetry. So from script to script, the, the, the defining lines of the character kind of shifted. And uh, I enjoyed that. I really did. I, I loved working with Terry Jones and doing just a completely different version of Indiana Jones. Um, it was it was fun. I mean, it was it was it was years of education. It was film school for me, but it wasn't. It wasn't nearly like you're trying to be the Harrison Ford version. It was, uh, you know, it, it, Indiana Jones was the only fictitious character in every episode. It was mm -hmm. historical figures. It was an educational piece. So because of that, you know, I, I did my best to emulate what Harrison did in the movies, the way he put, put his hat on, the way he took it off, the way he rode a horse, you know, and things like that. But outside of that, the dialogue was it was significantly different in character from episode to episode. And I had a ball doing it. I really did. Yeah, well, I was watching it. I was thinking that must have been just a crazy opportunity because it, there, there aren't that many series that switch genres so much. I mean, like you said, sometimes you're in a war movie and sometimes you're in a surreal comedy and then you're in a political intrigue. And also the series uh, isn't shot in chronological order, I think. You were moving back and forth. So how did you keep track of where Indy was with all those changes and all those uh, different elements to the story? You know, it's not hard. I, I mean, that, that's, uh, I mean, that's the least of your worries as an actor. I, I mean, you, you know, if, if you, if you, if you can't keep notes of where you've been, you know, London happened in 1916 and then Paris, the date of that. So, you know, okay, if it's 1918, I've already met Vicky Prentice, the suffragette movement. I've already gone through, you know, it's pretty easy to keep track. I mean, that's like 101 for an actor to do. I actually love the fact that it bounced around, you know, country to country and you had to, you had to kind of assemble the story you know, on your own. I, I, I really loved that. I love, I mean, I mean, to me, it was, I learned more shooting 
young Indiana Jones than all of my cumulative years of schooling, including university. I mean, you know, traveling around 56 different countries, experiencing different cultures firsthand, you know, living in the Congo with the Maasai Mara who had never seen uh, uh, photographs or, or videotape before. Um, I remember videotaping the campfire and then showing them the videotape and they were touching it, wondering if it would scald their hands on the screen. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, it was an experience that, that I don't know how many people will ever be able to have now that it's 2023. It was just, it was an eye-opening experience. It was a cultural experience. It was educational. It's a, I, I came out of that, you know, the, the, the biggest form of currency I got from young indie was the education. It really was. Did you have any contact with um, the two other indie actors, Corey Carrier, who played the kid version of indie and George Hall, the old indie? You know, I haven't spoken to them in years. Um, I hope they're doing well. I, I they, they were wonderful, wonderful human beings. I kept in touch with uh, Ronnie, um, who, you know, we did all of our episodes together. But mm -hmm. Corey, we, we, we really never intersected. Mm -hmm. So I, I met him one time in Prague when they were doing the end of an episode and I was starting. And that's really it. Um, and the same thing with uh, Mr. Hall. I, we, we, we never cross paths. I know it looks like that because the, the, mm. the, it's the way they assemble the episode, but I really never got to shake his hand. And uh, for example, Harrison Ford was in the Chicago episode. Mm. I've never met Harrison Ford, you know, mm. which uh, to me is a travesty because to me, Harrison Ford is our last iconic movie star. You know, like I think now we have Brad Pitt, who's a huge celebrity and he's an actor, but an iconic movie star like Steve McQueen, like Montgomery, Gl Montgomery Clift, like uh, James Dean, like James Stewart, Harrison Ford, you know, he's a that ill. So, I mean, I would, I would have loved to have, you know, just uh, get a picture with him and show my kids like, look, daddy, daddy was standing <laughs> next to Harrison Ford or something like that. But I, you know. <laughs> How involved was George Lucas in the uh, production of the of the series? Uh, he he was, you know, he was pretty hands on. But I'll tell you the you know the, the real hands on producer was Rick McCallum. I mean, he was there every single day. He orchestrated everything. He put everything together. Like that dude is a producing god. Um, I mean, he every aspect of filmmaking. He was hands-on in assembling, and he was there every single day. He was on the set every single day. Um, George, you know, creatively, absolutely, he assembled the team of writers. He he put the stories down, um, but then he he really kind of let Rick run with it. And uh, I, I think they both did an amazing job, and they work incredibly well together. Uh, George was in Prague. He was in uh, California. And he was in Phuket, Thailand. Um, mm -hmm. But those are the three places. And he was there for a considerable amount of time. Um, and I'm sorry, and he was in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, so I saw him, you know, in four different locations. Uh, but he, he didn't travel around with us, you know, regularly. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, when he was on set, it was kind of, you know, because at, at, at my core, I'm, I'm still a fan as well. It's, it's hard, even though you're doing the show, it's hard to go, that's the dude that made Star Wars. That's the dude that made, you know, he made American Graffiti. You know, it's, uh, it was cool. It was cool. It was really cool. Uh, was Steven Spielberg involved because it was his company, Amblin Television? Yeah, you know, I saw him. He was in um, Prague, Czechoslovakia. So I got to meet him as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, like you can imagine, like, you know, meeting George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, it, 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 it's, it's, 
just mind-boggling. You know, that that's the dude that did Back to the Future. It, it's, uh, you know, two of the biggest names in my industry, bar none. Um, now, Stephen wasn't actively involved like uh, uh, George or Rick, but uh, yeah, it was Amblin Entertainment, it's his company. Yeah, it sounds like the Prague episode. That's where all of you came together, and it's obviously one of the one of the most brilliant episodes. I think the Kafka um, episode. What do you remember about shooting that one? I mean, that's a very, very unusual. Even within the framework of the series, that's a very unusual episode. Well, you you know, it it's talk, talking about an education. It forced me to. It didn't force me, but it made me read the trial by Franz Kafka, mm -hmm. um, and the whole episode revolves around that kind of absurd theater which is not too distant from what society's going through now. Um, and, and, it, and it really was a little bit of a, uh, you know, an, an Orwellian type of, uh, you know, dystopian episode. It, it, it shined a light on things to come. It really did. And that was, that's one of the great things about the series is it went from something like that to a heavy heart wrenching drama to a, uh, Uh, a comedic elements to pratfall comedy to slapstick comedy and then back to gas masks and horrific piles of bodies trench warfare it uh but the kafka episode was one of my favorites for that very reason because i started to read franz kafka and otherwise i'd heard the name but i'd never really flipped the pages and it made me read the trial did that happen with with other episodes as well that you were sort of um triggered to go and seek out the works of a writer or pick up a history book, stuff like that? Yeah, you know, you know and a lot of things I already knew about, but I didn't really research in depth. You know, uh, the Bolshevik uprising, you know, Lenin, the suffragette movement, you know, all of the above, you know, uh, the, 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 the structure of, of World War I biplanes, the fragility in the sky, um, the synchromesh uh, machine guns going through propellers, um, kind of all of that. It, it really, it really forced me to take a closer look outside of just an academic look. Like I need to pass this test. Let me learn that. It really was presented in an interesting way that left you going, I need to know more about this. It, and it did that to me. I hope it did that to viewers as well. Yeah. I mean, the DVD set has a full set of documentaries, I think 94 documentaries on uh, all of the different aspects. So, um, I think the education was really a big part of the just of the approach and the, the intention of the series. Yeah. Do you have any other favorite episodes? My favorite episode is the Battle of Verdun. And mm -hmm. uh, it was directed by Rene Mazur. My, my favorite end result episode. My favorite person to work with was Carl Schultz. Um, mm -hmm. I, I didn't really have a lot of dialogue with director Rene Mazur, but the final product, once I saw it edited together, That was the first experience where he would tell me to do things on the day and I questioned them. And then when I saw what he did with it, I, I was bowled over. I mean, to me, that was a, a poetic musical piece of art. It really was. Um, Carl Schultz was, I think the best coherent storyteller of a director, just a wonderful human being. And the episodes that are 100% accessible and fluid storytelling. I just thought that he had a magically gentle hand cinematically and he really made you feel comfortable. And, he, and, and I think the results speak for itself. 
yeah, you have a lot of, of, of great directors um, on the show and, and each one of them, I think, brings something else to the table. Um, I mean, people like Nicholas Rogue, who directed the Matahari episodes. Um, I think that's my favorite episode, the Matahari episode. I, I, I love that. You know, it's hard to pick because honestly, we didn't have a bad director. I mean, all of the directors were A-list directors. Simon Wenser, I mean, the stuff he directed, his action sequences, I think, were bar none the best in the series. Um, and, and, and he did the Albert Schweitzer episode. Um, some of the stuff that he did with the camera, with the long dolly shot down the medical beds. You know, Simon Winsor, he, he's, a, he's a genius director. I mean, I mean, it, it really was years of film school for me, asking questions. Why are you doing this? What is that? What is that? Explain that to me. And mm -hmm. then you see the end result and you understand why they did what they did. You know, it was, it was an honor to be part of. And it's probably also unusual to have uh, a series where the directors have so much input into the style and the tone of each episode, right? I mean, most of the directors who were on the show were really people who were coming from movies, not television. Yeah, and, you know, I really think uh, that's wonderful for them, but I think that's a big part of why a lot of people didn't see the TV show. Because one, one minute people are tuning in and they're getting slapstick comedy and the next week they tune in and they're giving a heavy melodrama and then the next week they're getting very realistic death drama. It, 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 you know, and the character fluctuated. One minute Indy's falling down for, for laughs and the next minute he's heroically saving lives. It, it's, it, it's hard to get a fluid viewership. It was wonderful for the directors. It was wonderful for me as an actor but I don't think it was the right recipe for a successful, commercially viable TV series. <clears throat> yeah, especially in some of the episodes where Indy isn't really so much of a likable guy or not even the hero. I mean, the Matahari uh, episode being a case in point, I mean, he's jealous, he's possessive, he's insecure. I mean, he's everything that we all are when we first fall in love. Um, and still, I mean, it's you could shake the guy and say, well, come on, wake up. This isn't how it's supposed to be. So I think that must have been challenging to um, to really go to that place and, and present the hero as that kind of person. Well, you know, one of the one of the questions that I had, and I'd love to ask George this one day. Um, maybe you can ask him if you interview him. <clears throat> um, I wonder because I didn't that was my first really big job. So I didn't know how writing for a TV show worked. I now know that they have a writer's room and they all talk and they all discuss the fluid lines of the character. And then they all go off and they write an episode, but then it comes back and they all collaborate. I wonder if there was a writer's room or if he just said, hey, you write this one, um, you write this one, you write this one. We, every writer on that show is amazing. And either has either, I, I mean, look, 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 look at, uh, uh, the walk created the creator of The Walking Dead started on Young Indiana Jones, um, Carrie Fisher, you know, but I wonder if they collaborated on keeping the character fluid, because from episode to episode, it was very, very different, like you just said, some character traits that were completely missing in the previous episode. Now they're flashing red lights. And as like I said, for an actor, it was a great experience for an actor to be able to do things. But but as far as a fluid character, it did present, uh, you know, some, I think commercially it would present some, some difficulties, but I'd love to ask George if there was a writer's room or mm -hmm. if they just individually wrote everything. Yeah, that would be interesting. 
How much did you follow the um, the reception of the series? Did you read the reviews? Did you, how close were you to that? You know, not so much because I was out of the country filming it. So believe it or not, I've never seen it on TV ever. <laughs> I, I was out of the country filming all the time that it was on ABC in the States. So I never got an opportunity to see it on TV. Wow. <laughs> so um, you never saw it again since shooting it? No, well, well, I've seen them on VHS tapes. Oh, okay. They would give me the VHS tape that we shot and I would see the final, but I never saw it aired on television. Yeah, I see. Um, but I don't think I've seen a young indie episode in 27 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, probably since 95. It's really amazing watching them now because, I mean, you've went on to do so many other things, so many other movies, and you've played a lot of really edgy and dark characters. Um, I mean, your latest one, Nefarious, <laughs> being a case in point. And it's it's so interesting watching you as young Indiana Jones and then going on to Nefarious and seeing that kind of the, the opposites and that kind of range. That's amazing. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I heard that there were episodes that were may have been shot or may have been well started or, or something, but they were never released. And the release history of the series is somewhat complicated. I mean, they were all restructured at some point and made into TV movies where episodes were combined. Do you have any insights into that? You know, I, I don't. Um, you know, it, it, it aired on ABC. And then after that, they made two hour movies, movie the weeks. And I'm not even sure how many of those came out on TV as opposed to how many are on the Blu-ray set. But I do know that they assembled two hour movie the weeks with episodes that we had previously shot. And because I was out of the country, I, I, I was never privy to what aired how. So you also don't remember stuff that was in the cards, but never shot because I found some suggestions that, there, for example, there may have been a, an episode where Indy is on the Titanic or where he meets Percy Fawcett or Jean Renoir or, you know, other famous people. That would have been cool, but we never, we never <laughs> shot a Titanic episode, but that would have been cool. <laughs> that would have been a couple of years before Leo was on the Titanic. <laughs> it would have been amazing to see. <laughs> How did you experience the end of the series? Um, well, we knew, we knew it far in advance. It wasn't like a phone call came out of the blue and said, oh, it's over. We knew after the first year, after the first season, that we were gonna, it was going to be airing for another year. And then I, I think uh, Paramount allowed us to make more because they knew George was eventually going to do a young indie part four and five and six. And, you know, the Star Wars franchise. So... It, it didn't stay airing because of the ratings, because a lot of people, no, not a lot of people watched it at all. It didn't get great rating, ratings. Um, they kept making them because of George, because mm -hmm. he had a certain amount of stories that he wanted to tell. And they said, OK, we'll let you make them. And I think it was 52 stories that he wanted to tell. And so they let us make them. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm proud of it. My kids will see him. You know, that's uh, it's neat, educational pride it's a legacy it's all of that man yeah it's amazing and they were so elaborate especially for the time i mean back then television series really still had that you know two single locations and studio set kind of look and you know they weren't really expensive and with oh, yeah. young indiana jones it was just the opposite i mean every episode was made like a movie and ilm you know they were developing their replication i think we were the first 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 production ever used replication we'd shoot 
10 people and we turn it into a thousand marching people and it looked real. And then they've gone on to use that in every movie subsequently since. So it's a, it was a litmus test for a lot of stuff that uh, they're using today. How often do people approach you about young indie? Really hardly ever at all. Really? You know, and, and yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not kidding. You know, a lot of people, you can read, you know, the, the, the Nielsen ratings and they tell you how many people saw it, but no one, no one hardly ever recognizes me from young indie. Hmm. They didn't back then. They don't do it now. It's uh, a, <laughs> so it just, I, I, I don't think a lot of people saw it. I really mm. don't think a lot of people at all saw it. It's, it's kind of rare mm. and, and I'm proud of it. You know, I have this theory that it's, uh, it's a chapter of Indiana Jones. that was really um, that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, and it's still such an integral part to the indie story. So um, it's interesting to hear that, but they've now come out on, on, on Disney plus. So maybe people are, you know, will rediscover them now. Well, I, ho I hope kids see it. I mean, it really is. It, 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 there's more historical education in that series than any elementary, junior high, and high school. It, it, it's all in there. The, you know, World War I from 1915 to 1922, it's there. You know, uh, so, so for no other reason, I, I hope kids do give it a watch. It's so sad because um, the, um, the whole bookend um, concept of young Indiana Jones with the old Indiana Jones who's telling the story is that has been omitted in those uh, TV shows. So really the work of George Hall has sort of been deleted from, from history in a way. But now we get Harrison Ford as old Indiana Jones. So at least that's some comfort. Oh, you mean on Disney Plus, they took out the, the George Hall? Yeah, uh, already on the DVD set, um, the versions oh. that I've, I've seen. I mean, I remember the George Hall episodes from back then, um, or the, the, the bookends from back then. I have a couple of copies from TV screenings from back then. But on the ah. DVDs and, and TV movies, all of the George Hall stuff was deleted. So um, I think it's very sad. Yeah, well, that, that's too bad. It was, you know, they did, uh, the Chicago was bookended by Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. And then the other episodes are bookended by George Hall. So it is a little, it was a little odd in itself, you know? Yeah, they left in the Harrison Ford bookend. Um, well, because he's Harrison Ford, obviously. Of course. But speaking of the Chicago episode, I was wondering, um, was that you playing the saxophone? It was, yeah. Really? Uh, I had a saxophone. I had, you know, now I didn't learn how to play anything. They didn't teach me how to read music, but I learned how to play those pieces of music, you know, and it's a, uh, it wasn't that difficult, you know, the, uh, like learning how to construct music and read music and hit, you know, multiple combinations of notes. But if you only have one pattern, it, it's, it's, it's doable. There's one pattern your fingers have to hit. You do it over and over again. You can learn it. <laughs> Okay, it's cool. Well, those were some really great jams. I mean, I'm a huge jazz fan. So obviously, that was also one of the episodes that I really loved seeing indie jamming with Sidney Bechet. That would introduce kids to Sidney Bechet, you mm. know. Yeah. And I mean, he's almost forgotten these days. So um, Correct. it's really nice to have those reminders and um, to have that in a, in a playful sense. Were there any episodes that you were kind of disappointed by or that you wish that, I don't know, could have handled stuff differently? I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to second guess and look in the rearview mirror. I, I, I don't, you know, everything you can find, if you look hard enough, you'll find little nuances. Ah, I wish I would have this. I wish I would have that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it, it's, it's healthy to move forward. You know, it's, uh, 
you know, especially as an actor, that's one of the reasons a lot of times directors, they won't let actors watch the dailies um, <laughs> because they start changing their character. They're like, oh, it didn't look good when I did that. I'll stop doing it. And then, it, you know, all the character's wish goes up and down. And so, you know, I, I, I tend to not tr to try not to do that. You know, I, in, in hindsight, I would have liked to have seen how the series would have fared if it would have been more consistent and fluid. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I, I work with amazing directors top to bottom. I mean, my first episode filming, the call sheet was Vanessa Redgrave, Christopher Lee, um, Elizabeth Hurley, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and then some dude named Sean Patrick. Who the hell is this guy? You know, it was kind of crazy. It was, it was, uh, I was the only unknown person on the call sheet, you know? Must have been kind of daunting to meet all those acting legends and play opposite them and be the hero of the story too. It, it was, and it was odd and it was weird. And, you know, I, I, I was well aware of, I was just some actor from Texas. And these are like, you know, well-regarded thespians from the UK. And, you know, they'd all done, you know, London High Theater. And it was, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. There's one actor um, that I'd like to ask you about, too, before um, I think our time runs out. Um, that's uh, Lloyd Owen, who plays your father. Um, and you have this beautiful scene with him. That's the episode where you come back home from the war. And um, the episode is really just about this confrontation between the two of them. H how did you work out that, that, that kind of scene, that kind of conflict? Because it's very much a, a character piece, that episode. You know... My, my research for all of my projects, generally speaking, if a project is written well enough, your research should be able to be contained between fade in and fade out. That's it. Mm -hmm. If it's written well enough. Now, some scripts that aren't written well, you got to go outside of the script to find reasons and motivations. And But all of the young indie scripts were perfectly crafted. They really were. It, it, everything is on the page all of the subtexts, all of the, the, the B plot lines, everything you need to know is in that script, you know? So it didn't really require any outside work at all. Did you have, uh, like, was there a time to, you know, do a lot of rehearsals and go through the scenes and develop and change the scenes while you were shooting that? Or was it like on other TV shows where, you know, it's just, you know, go ahead and, and we'll, we'll need to get this done? You know, because we had actors flying in and flying out constantly, there wasn't. A I'm not a big fan of rehearsal anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's something wonderful about the organic nature of hearing it for the first time. So, and and if if actors are good, they can do that. I I don't think you need to do it a billion times and try and keep it fresh. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I to me, you should do your homework, learn your words. You should run it in your head exactly how it's going to happen, and then be prepared to adjust it to relate to whoever you're standing opposite. And that's where the magic happens to me, to me. Now there's other actors that want to rehearse it 17 days in a row. And by the time you film it, they've done it 500 times and that's okay. There's a different recipe for everybody. But for me, I like to do it all in my head. Uh, I don't show up to work not knowing the lines. And if you want to change it, I can change it on the fly. Um, and I like to see what happens. I like to get natural, normal reactions from someone that hasn't heard my line yet. And I want to react to them having no idea how they're going to deliver that line. Having said that, I accommodate anybody. If an actor came on and they're like, oh, I really, I'd like to rehearse this. I'm I rehearse it till the cows come home. <laughs> but uh, I tend to preserve the version that I'm going to use for filming mm -hmm. um, until the day.
I see. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about when uh, you're, those scenes with Lloyd Owen, because he is, I think he comes from, from a theater background. And I think that was the first thing he's done or one of the first things he's done on TV. Um, and he's also, he's the same age as you are. So that's kind of unusual um, in, in a TV setting, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I found that to be true with a lot of, especially the English actors. They love to rehearse it and to, you know, I, it's just not the way that I prefer to do it, but I accommodated everybody. If they want to rehearse it, I'll rehearse it till the cows come home. But, uh, you know, and, and I, I, because I want, I want them to be comfortable and to be as good as if that's what they need, I'm there for them. Mm. But for me, I prefer to save it for the day. Sean, I'd like to thank you very much for taking the time to talk a little bit about Young Indie. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Some um, thoughts, something I haven't hit upon in my, in my questions? No, not really. You know, I'm proud as hell of this. I hope it, I hope it finds a new audience with today's youth. I think uh, the messages, the stories are pertinent. They're alive. They're well. Um, they're valuable. I certainly don't want to lose them. And it changed, it changed my educational tangent severely just by being a part of this. Um, and I, I hope it can do the same for some other youngsters out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be great. So again, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate and, you taking the time, man. And, and thank you for having an interest in the, the show. Uh, yeah. It was a pleasure talking to you, brother. Absolutely. It was a pleasure watching the whole series again. <laughs> it was amazing. I appreciate it, man. 